going to hear from the Word of God this morning in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, which simply says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you might eat or drink or about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. There's your memory verse this morning. Say it with me. Would you do that? I think you can do it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for giving us all things, for providing all things. And Father, we thank you that you invite us not to worry about these things, not to worry about what is happening around us, but in faith come to you and bring to you our needs and bring to you our concern. And Father, we thank you that you already know, you already know and you place faith within our lives and in our hearts to respond to you. So Father, I thank you today. Let the blessing of God be the richness of this service that points us all to Christ. And Father, I thank you for your divine favor upon our church and upon these people gathered here today. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you will be the one who will lift us up and encourage and strengthen and provide even in this service We'll praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, let me just express a couple things to you. <clears throat> Over the past several weeks, this is, a, this is a message that's sort of been brewing in my, my spirit for quite a while. And over the past several weeks, uh, just, uh, I'm kind of a consumer of the news. I like to think that I can try to keep current as to what is happening in our world because what is happening in our world also affects us what's happening in the church. And so therefore I believe it is important. And as I continue to watch news and I watch this and I watch that, I read about things, I read a lot of things, I, I'm I'm bothered by things that I see. And I know you are too. You see people marching and rioting and all kinds of things and things that we really have not been seeing in our country for a long time. We see it occasionally. 
But it seems like this is a, these are events that are happening so often. And they get a lot of news coverage, that's for sure. Whether that's right or wrong, it's not for us to decide today. But I begin to think, how do we as the body of Christ, me as a follower of Jesus, how do I respond to that? What do I do? Do I just sit back and say, well, church is coming Sunday and that's what I can do. I'll go to church. How do I respond to a culture that has become angry? How do I respond to a society that, that uh, whose moral values are just continuing to drop lower and lower? How do I respond to that? What am I as a, me, just me? What can I do? What should I do? And so I guess in the process of all of this, praying about this and all of these things, I'm coming back to something that's been there all the time. And that's what Jesus taught us here beginning in Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read two verses. There are plenty to read. and This is part one of this message. There's a part two that I'm going to share next week. It's uh, similar but yet in many ways very different too. But in part one, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and following that are the Beatitudes. We know them as the Beatitudes. But this is also the beginning verses of, without a question, Jesus' most longest and perhaps most famous message to his followers that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It runs for three chapters. And I'd like to give you an assignment, if I can. Would you take this assignment upon yourself to read the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in chapter 5, 6, and 7, just three chapters, and maybe you could spread this out through the whole week if you want, or try this. Just read half a chapter a day. I, I want you to get the feel of this. I, I want you to get this. I want you to ask God to put this inside your spirit. I want to ask God to take the words uh, that you're going to read. And these are familiar words because I know that many of you have read them many times. You've read them. You've already, you already know what to expect. But I'm asking God, let's ask God to give us a perspective on this thing that uh, perhaps we've not seen before. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was sharing it with his disciples, and I call this a setting for a code of conduct for their discipleship. Now keep this in mind. Jesus had 12 disciples that gathered around him on that day, but there were many more people on that little hillside. Lots of people. Hundreds of people. But Jesus was addressing 12 disciples. And that's important to us this morning because I believe this address is to us here at Faith Community Church. We are followers of Christ. We are his disciples. We follow him. 
And he's got a message for us. He's going to talk to us this morning. This message is really not all about the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to understand the moral implications, the attitudes, the behavior, and practices of people who are followers of Jesus. You simply can't escape these uh, implications. The gospel, when it meets us as sinners, it calls us to the Lord through repentance. In other words, when I repent, and you've seen me demonstrate that, I'll do it again, but you, we are going in a direction of the world. Our culture is going in the direction of the world. But when I repent, it's not that I just stop going in the direction of the world, but I turn and go in the direction of God. In other words, there's a total, there's a 180 degree turn in my life that is leading me to God and leading me away from the world. And yet I'm still in the world. When Jesus comes into our lives, he infuses us with the newness of life and he provides forgiveness. He gives us liberty from the bondages of ourselves and Satan. And he releases us from the things that hold us back from serving God. Now, does he do that overnight? Probably not. It's a process, isn't it? There are some things that do happen overnight, but there are many things that we are in this process of continuing to grow closer and closer to God. But also understand this. There should be no question in anyone's mind that Jesus expects us to live this kind of a life. When we come to Christ, our lives are changed. God doesn't put a band-aid on our sin and covers it up. He doesn't do stuff like that. God transforms our life. We become new in Jesus Christ. The Bible's replete with those, that particular message, in fact. We become new creatures in Jesus Christ. Not just, uh, not just the improved version of the old guy. Not just a guy that quits swearing, but I still have the same thoughts, the same attitudes, this, all of the same stuff, I just don't swear anymore. That's not what God does. He transforms us, and that transformation, saints, listen to me carefully, it's not just merely on the outside, but it works on the inside. And as it works on the inside, it transforms the outside. Okay? Sometimes we get that upside down and think the outside, no, it's on the inside. It works on the inside. Jesus said, respond to the message of forgiveness and the power of the gospel to deliver from sin and hopelessness, the healing of life, the healing of the body, the healing of the mind and, and spirit. Jesus then says, follow me and walk in the pathway of obedience in your life, our family life, our business life, our community life, all of these things, every, every aspect of our life that touches anything becomes changed and transformed in our lives. Now here's a problem. Let me share it with you. In North American Christianity, we have from the mo- we have for the most part, I should say, benefited <coughs> from what I call a Christianized control of the system. 
And here's what I mean. There's a lot of people, and you know them, and I know them, and they live around us, and they live good lives. <coughs> Excuse me. They live good lives. They live moral lives. And, and to look at them on the surface, they even live godly lives. And God blesses these things in their lives, and yet they are not born again. They have not been transformed on the inside of their life. They're good people. They're really good people. <clears throat> but when you confront them with the gospel, they, they realize, I have not been born again. <clears throat> That's what happens when you sing, and, at least for me anyway. <clears throat> Today we're witnessing a very severe moral deterioration that's really been going on for quite a few decades, actually. But it's been greatly amplified here in the past. Today, there, there exists a much lower baseline of morality in our country. It's very low. And the moral underpinnings of our society is being eroded, and we have drifted far, far away from moral standards. Today, there is a virtual and sometimes, <clears throat> and oftentimes, a, a, a real animosity and, a, uh, and, and an agenda to go with that animosity. It's an anger that's displayed in a number of ways. We've heard about groups called Antifa, which is a conglomeration of left-wing militant radicals who are not hesitant to resort to violence in what they want to accomplish and to get their point across. If you don't know who they are, Google them after church. And it's pretty easy to figure out what this group of people. Another aspect of the problem here is we have Christian people who believe that the best way to win these people is to grab them by the front of their shirt and declare, this nation was not founded the way you are saying. We've got to get back to the way God wants us. I want to ask you a question. How many of these people do you really think you're going to win? Do you really think that by doing that, these people are going to say, oh man, I didn't know that. Oh wow, I, I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to throw this baseball bat down and I'm going to change my life. Do you really think that's going to happen? The answer is no. No, it's not going to happen. And yet we have people that will scream at them and yell at them. It's like they're on this side of the street and a bunch of Christians, they just got out of their prayer meeting, we're going to line up on this side of the street and scream at them. You really think you're going to win them? It's not going to work. And that may rile some people who think that social active, being a socially active person is important, and I believe it is too. But I'm not exactly sure that that is going to work. The very idea <clears throat> that we're going to win society from the outside in by grabbing hold of somebody's lapels, and if that's going to gain, gain ground for us. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus said, uh, if you give somebody a drink of water in his name. Go on. The idea of showing our indignation 
by becoming belligerent and angry ourselves. And to think this is going to be some kind of a shock therapy treatment that's going to turn these people around and cause them to be moral again. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. Jesus, Jesus never deals with people from the outside. He always deals with people from the inside. Always. Always. And Jesus was living in a day in which it was difficult. Christians were dying. And it was going to get worse in that culture. The reason I chose to open this text from the Sermon on the Mount, because it's presented in an environment where multitudes are starting to follow Jesus. He's bringing the call of God to forgiveness and love and grace and healing and miracles and power that is working. These crowds are coming because they've discovered the power of the love of God. And most of these people understood very little about the truth of God. But Jesus comes to them as the embodiment of this truth and of this power and of this love of God. A small portion of this uh, multitude actually embraced Jesus. But please understand this. The Sermon on the Mount <clears throat> was not presented to the crowd. It was presented to his disciples. Everything Jesus was saying was in the face of this small band of Disciples and these disciples needed to understand a kingdom way of life that would not be a contradiction to the truth of the gospel. <coughs> Jesus begins with what we call the Beatitudes, which are actually a series of sayings here, and they're what we call paradoxical. In other words, you know, I'll give you one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a paradox. Two, two very opposite things at work here. <clears throat> and so he begins this way. This is totally opposite of what is what uh, of trying to take over the world through some kind of a power or some kind of human engineering. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we hear the word meek, <coughs> you know what we think? We think of weak. Meek equals weak. But meek in the New Testament, at least how it's used here by Jesus means the strength of God under the control of God. So, let's reread. Blessed are the meek, or those who are under the control and the power of God, they shall inherit the earth. That's totally different. Totally different. And yet that's what Jesus is saying here in this, in this remark. A little bit of history might help us here. China, in 1949, closed its door to missionary efforts and Christianity in general. And by the way, just to let you know, it's starting to happen again. This is very real. People in China are now dying for their faith. Churches are being burned, crosses, Bibles, you name it. This is a repressive government. Please understand this. Just because your thing that you got last week at Walmart said made in China, these are not necessarily friends. In 1949, there was an estimated 5 million Christians in China. The door closed. Missionaries were forced out, some died in that process. 
China became a closed country until the early 1970s, and when it finally opened its door a little bit again. The question in many people's minds is, what about the church? Where are these five million? Well, it was answered quickly. The five million had turned into 65 or 75 million. During that time of intense repression, which a Christian dare not lift his head above ground level. And they did it. They did it by demonstrating the love of Christ, the power of God, the work of God in a person's life. That's powerful. That's powerful. The gospel spread through New Testament spirit-empowered living. No denominations were involved. No movements, none of this. They just lived according to the scripture. If the Bible said, pray for the sick and they'll be healed, that's what they did. If you ask God to provide this, that's what God did. And they lived that way. And the people around them saw this and understood this. And they became followers of Christ. From 5 million to 65 million. And on and on the story goes. We can learn something from this because a variety of things happen in our culture. And I believe personally, I personally believe the church is losing ground in this. The moral standards, as I mentioned, have been lowered. We rationalize a lot of things. It's whatever you think is right is okay. That has drifted into the church, by the way, and it's dangerous. Humanism is in full control, and I'm going to do whatever it is that pleases me. If you think you're going to change that by screaming in someone's face, and touting your biblical values and telling them how wrong they are and how right you are, you have a right to do that. But I'm not convinced it'll make a bit of difference. Theologian Dr. D.A. Carson makes a statement here. It's very important. He says, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, toward prayer, toward obedience, toward scripture or faith or any delight in the Lord. This is not our natural bent. We are naturally bent to go the other way. But it is because of the power of the grace of God, the power of God at work in people's lives that we move in the direction of God. That's how it works. So I'm not exactly sure this morning. And I say, I don't, I don't you know, I'm not convinced that people get up in the morning and say, I hate God, I don't care about God, I'm not interested in what God is doing in, my, in anybody's life, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Are they blind and ignorant of what God wants to do in their life? And the answer is yes, absolutely. They're looking for fulfillment in their lives, and they'll do whatever they choose to find that because that's what everybody else is doing, and they have no idea of what God is doing 
and has to say about it. I don't expect Antifa to walk into Faith Community Church and say, we are eager to find out what God wants in our life. They might stand outside and throw rocks at us, but they're not necessarily on that journey, what can I find out about God? But when you walk out of the church, when you walk out of that church, you become the representative, the image of Christ that can be seen in their lives. You are different. I, I, I know I mentioned this more than once. People driving by this church on Sunday morning realize there's something different here. There's a parking lot full of cars over here, over here, and everywhere. And it causes somebody to say, what's going on there? It triggers a thought. It triggers a response. And things like that. My job is to represent Christ wherever I can. And to do it in a sensible way, not in some brainless fashion. Thursday, um, <clears throat> Thursday morning, uh, I, I made a hospital call in Fort Dodge. And when I finished there, it was about a quarter after 11 or 11.30, I guess. And I decided to stop at McDonald's on my way bound. So I ordered my food. I sat on the other side of kind of a wall there, if you've ever been in that one out by the college, because it's a little quieter over there. I sat down, and right next to me was a small table with an older couple, a man and a woman, and they were eating, and I sat down, and immediately she says, hi, how are you, where are you from? Just, just wow. I mean, she wanted to, what, 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 are, are you busy today? You know, she just, she's asking all kinds of questions, and, and, you know, I'm trying to get my french fries in, and eat a bite, and, <laughs> answer a question and everything else. Well, it turns out she's from uh, Golden Meadows in Manson. And the guy with her was living next to her, and they were went to Fort Dodge, and they're getting something to eat, and, and they're talking, and I'm, I'm trying to eat and talk and everything. And, and you know, i got to admit to you, I'm going to confess to you, I didn't really want to talk to him. I just wanted to eat and go. And then I felt a little conviction kind of begin to ooze in between the french fries. <laughs> and, and I think God was saying, you know, why don't you talk to these people? And so I did. I, I did. I mean, I, I really made it a point to try to visit with them and everything. And they were just friendly, just very friendly people, nice people. And... They said, well, what do you do here in Fort Dodge? I said, I made a hospital call. I'm a pastor. Oh, where do you pastor at? And I told them. I don't think she quite knew where this church was. I think he did, but she didn't. And I told them how to get here on Sunday morning by 10 o'clock. And I gave them the pitch, you know. <laughs> and then I started to say, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, I haven't been to church in a long time. Oh, you should come to church. You just don't know what you're missing. You know, you're right. I don't know if those people are in the room today. If you are, I'm talking about you. And uh, I, I mean to say it in a nice way, in a pleasant way. But we had a pleasant conversation. I left her some stuff, shared it with her. 
Isn't this what Christ is asking us to do? He didn't ask me to go over to their table and swipe off all this stuff in the table. Now listen to me, I'm going to share with you good news. <laughs> While their fries and their burger goes flying out the door. I haven't talked about this for a while, but you've heard me use this expression about cheeseburger evangelism. I'm going to dust it off this morning for just a second. Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we asking our neighbors who don't know Jesus? Lori and Kevin, we got involved in one of your cheeseburger evangelism deals. That was fun. Why don't we talk to them? You don't get a cheeseburger in their mouth and just start stuffing Jesus down their face. God will open that door. You just need to figure out who these people are. They've got a life. But as they share their life, they're also going to share the emptiness of their life. They're going to share the longing that they have for meaning in their life. You, you'll, you'll pick that up. The Spirit of God will help you to discern and to know. You don't have to grab them by the shirt and, and before they walk out, I got to tell them about Jesus. You know what? No, you don't. They'll come back. And they'll come back. And they'll come back. And someday they'll just say, I, I don't get it, what's going on in your family. Why are you different? There's your open door. And all it costs you is a cheeseburger. I need to gain the trust of people. Many people are blind. They don't know the truth. They don't know the truth. They're looking for fulfillment in all of the wrong places. You know, I think of that prodigal. He had a lot of money in his pocket. He's looking for fulfillment and, and all the Bible says, riotous living. You can only imagine what that would be. Then the money ran out. But the lifestyle changed, only it changed to a pig pen. He was looking for something. And then the Bible says, he came to his senses. That is so important. Because that's the Holy Spirit moment in that kid's life. He came to his senses. We pray for people. Sometimes my son or my daughter is wayward and confused. We pray that he comes to his senses. And that's the Spirit of God working. And the door opens up. Father's waiting. Welcome home. Let me wind this up. I've never seen anyone when a blind person trips and falls to look at them and say, what a fool you are for tripping. But I think what we need to do, it's up to us in the mercy of God to reach out to them. What can I do for you? These are strong times, saints of God, for discernment. We need to be tuned in to what God is doing, what he wants us to do.
How shall Christians today send forth the gospel of Jesus in a world that really cannot understand moral values? We do it by a long-term expectation and extending the power of God to touch their lives from the inside. When Joan and I came to Christ, I can guarantee you one thing. We weren't looking to be changed. We weren't even interested in being changed. We could care less about being changed. But the gospel that was presented to us penetrated the inside. The inside. And the transformation was underway. The stuff I used to do, I quit doing. Not because a preacher told me to quit doing it because the Spirit of God was so powerful that he transformed us and made us into what he desired. And by the way, that process keeps right on going. I'm not arguing against Christians in public office. We need more of them. It would be very helpful. I'm not arguing against Christians exercising whatever privileges they might have, whatever that might be. But I encourage you, and I, will ha- <clears throat> I, 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 will, I want to encourage you. And you'll have my vote if that's what you want to do. And believe me, I vote intelligently. And I hope you will too. Just a little plug. In about two weeks we're voting. A lot of Christians stayed home last, last time. Don't do it. Get out. I want to encourage you. But when we realize that the vote is not enough to change the culture, and it won't be, we will win people who will see the power and the love of God and offer the offer of light to a very dark world. That's what we will see. Janet, if you could return, please. We are the people who actually live this out. And we display it in our lives every day of the week. Every day. In whatever we do. We present him as the Savior. And when he comes to their lives, listen to me, when he comes to their lives, he brings the light with him. And the darkness begins to fade out. And the light begins to take over. And when he comes with that light, he also brings the salt I'll mention that next week. And the salt begins to change and transform and takes confusion and makes it into righteousness. We trade off the confusion. We seize the righteousness of God. And it makes the difference. It makes the difference. Now, I want to be bold here this morning and tell you that I believe for every one of us, every one of us, I want to believe, and I'm going to stand on this, that God is going to bring somebody across your path this week. Somebody. Which, I don't know what you're going to do with it. I know what some of you might do with it, but I don't know what you're going to do with it. But you have an opportunity to open a little bit of the door and allow a little bit of that light to shine through. You may never see that person again, or you may see him the next day. 
and the next day after that. But God is going to use you, and it's going to make a difference in this world. It will make a difference. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the word of God this morning. Father, I pray that we have rightly divided the word of truth, and because of that, this word has taken, uh, taken up residence in our mind and in our heart. It's something that is going to be transformative in our own personal lives, but also in the people that we are going to encounter this week. We're going to be involved in a lot of things this week, every one of us in this room, all of us. And I believe, God, you're going to open up little doors and little windows in which we can be the light that shines through it. Somebody's going to see something. Somebody's going to hear something that is going to begin to change the trajectory of their life. And so, Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that you'll use it in our lives as we become the witness of Christ in the midst of this culture. So, Father, I pray let the word of God be blessed. Let the people of God here in this, in this congregation be wonderfully blessed. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, uh, just a moment. I realize this isn't one of these messages that you want to go out and run the aisles and shout and swing from, well, we don't have any chandeliers in here. We should get some. But, uh, you know, it's not, but I think it's one that's, I think it's one that can settle in your heart and do some real good. It's something that you can chew on this afternoon. So for you farmers, you can chew on it while you combine corn and do stuff, okay? Amen. You love God, don't you? Love him. Let's fill this place up next week with people who are looking for light, looking for hope. Let's do this. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Let's do it together. Father, we thank you. May the Lord bless and keep every person in this room. Keep us, keep us alive in Jesus Christ. Keep the joy of the Lord being our strength and our confidence. Father, give us a good week this week. And uh, not only doing the work that you've given us to do, but also giving us the opportunity to be the light that shines in somebody's dark life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.